reading the first 14 verses. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he said? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left upon another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of the coming, of your coming and the end of the age? Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. You know, as you look around today, and as you look around at what's going on in this world, are we living in the last days? I mean, think about it. I, just, I read the South China Morning Post, and I saw yesterday kind of a disturbing thing about some of the things that were said about between China and the United States about you know, the economic and some of the political tensions that are going on there. North Korea, you know, Russia, and you look at what's going on there and you say, oh, what's going on here economically? My word, I mean, economically, you know, things are just going up and down. One day the stock market is making money and the next day that it's not. And it's like, oh, are we going through 2008 all over again? What's going on? You look at it in the nature. What's going on? You know, it says, you know, wars and rumors of wars. There will be earthquakes and famines. We look at, we've, just in the last month, we've seen two volcanoes in Indonesia. Earthquakes, tremendous earthquakes. One of the worst hurricanes that Hong Kong has seen in over 100 years came through here just in this past October. Are we living in the last times? You know, the early church had to be asking this question. As they suffered for Christ, as they were martyred for Christ, they had to be asking this question. Are we living in the last days? Those who went through World War I, World War II, and other things, when millions died, had to be asking that question. Are we living in the last days? And the question, it's a question that we need to be asking ourselves as we look around and especially as we look at the truth of what God's word says in regards to this. Are we living in these last days? And if we are, are we prepared? If we are, are you prepared? And even as important as that question is, is this question, has God prepared us? Has God in his word shown us what is to come? And he has. And he has. Why? Why has he shown us this? Because ignorance of what is to come is a very dangerous thing. Ignorance of what is to come is a very, very dangerous thing. So throughout this series, this series will be very biblical. I'm going to spend most of my time in Matthew chapter 24. We're going to be looking at some other passages of scriptures as well, but I'm going to really be focusing mainly on Matthew chapter 24. 
As you look at it, as it, as it begins here, in verse 1 it says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the buildings. Now what's going on? Whenever you read scripture, you want to look around and you want to say, what came before? You want to also ask the question, to whom is Matthew writing? Matthew is writing to a predominantly Jewish audience who are living outside of Israel at this time, who are walking through difficult times. And Matthew begins, as we come to verse 1 of chapter 24, chapter 23 ended with Jesus having a pretty tough conversation with the Pharisees. Seven times he says, woe, woe, woe to them. This is the last conversation that he will have with the Pharisees. It was a very difficult conversation, but it was the absolute truth that he had with the Pharisees. After this, the disciples come out and Jesus comes out, and I'll bet it was pretty quiet. You ever been in a situation in the United States where we use an idiom, and I don't know if you've ever heard this idiom, the tension is so thick you can cut it with a knife? I mean, have you ever been in a situation where maybe two people have been arguing, maybe you've been in a house and mom and dad haven't been getting along, and, and it is quiet, and you've got to do something, you've got to do something to break the tension. I wonder if that isn't what's going on here. Because of the mundane statement that, that the disciples make. They're walking out, and, 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 they point, and they point Jesus to the temple, and it was a beautiful place. When Herod rebuilt the temple, it was gorgeous. It was huge. You could have put, in the States, I say you could put 12 NFL football fields in it. We don't know what that is here. So you could put about 9 to 10 soccer pitches inside what the temple area would have been. The stones, the stones of the temple weighed hundreds of tons apiece. And Jesus says, he looks at them, and he says, do you see all these? I tell you the truth, not one stone, this is verse 2, not one stone here will be left upon another. Everyone will be thrown down. Do you know what the equivalent of that is? If someone were to have said on, on um, September 11th in New York City, the, the twin towers, the twin trade towers, would both fall to the ground on the very same day. That would be about the equivalent of what he was saying. Well, what, what, you're, you're saying that all this, all this beauty is going to come down 40 years' time. In 40 years' time, the Romans came in and they leveled the city of Jerusalem. One wall remains, and it is the western wall, the Wailing Wall. Did Jesus have their attention now? He really did have their attention. And there's a change of scenery. Verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of the coming of the end of the age? There's been a change of scenery, and this is huge. We don't pick it up unless we understand what's going on here. There's a little bit of the Old Testament coming out in here. The Mount of Olives, Jesus has been at the temple, but he makes his way now to the Mount of Olives. Why is that so important? Because it is the Mount of Olives where the Messiah will return again. So, the Messiah is sitting teaching on the very place where he will one day return. And they said, Lord, tell us. Tell us. Tell us when will this happen. And Jesus tells them why. There are three reasons that he tells them why, or what is to come. The first reason that he tells them what is to come is so that they wouldn't be misled. That's your first fill-in, so that they wouldn't be misled. Look at what he says. He says in verse 4, he says, Watch out, literally, see to it. See to it that no one deceives you. That, that, that term, <clears throat> it is pregnant with meaning. 
Because what it means, what it carries within the meaning of that is that there is the possibility of deception. And as we'll see later, that, that's a really huge issue. Jesus says, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. Jesus wants us to know what is to come, what is to come, so that we will not be misled. So that we will not be misled. And you say, and then Jesus says, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive whom? Many. You've got to ask the question, how is this going to happen? How are they going to be able to deceive many? By coating a lie with the truth. I want to tell you kind of a funny story. I, I, I read this and I, I, I couldn't believe it. So when I came here to, to Hong Kong, I looked it up on the internet. So there was a zoo in China that was on, on hard times. And you can Google this. Don't do it now. You can Google later everything I'm going to say here. And I even corroborated. I had several uh, Chinese speakers here who I, I, I passed this through. And in China, there was a zoo that was on hard times. And so in one of their exhibits, they had on the placard, and I asked, I asked some of the people, I said, so what does this placard say in Chinese? They said, it says African lion. There was a dad with his son, and they came to this zoo. And the little boy looked at the, at, the, at the sign, and it said African lion. And he looked inside the cage, and he said, Daddy, that's not a lion. And the dad looked at the, at the, at the placard, and it says African lion. He says, yes, it is. He says, here, African lion. He, he says, Daddy, that's not a lion. He says, yeah, it is. He must, it must be just kind of some special lion. And then the lion barked. <laughs> that's a Tibetan mastiff. They're huge. You see, they, they passed it off. I mean, does it look like a lion? Kinda. It's big. It's got a, a big fluffy mane. And from a distance, you see, how will they deceive many? In the end times, how, many will come saying, I am the Christ. I did a little Google search on this. There are hundreds of people who claim to be the Messiah. South America, North America, Europe, China, Asia, even Siberia. They got one place in South America where they carry this guy around. They call him the Messiah. They carry him around in a big, like a, like a big uh, platter, and he's he kind of looks like Jesus, and all these people are dressed. And it's like, how, how do you do that? Here's how people will be deceived. See, that that, that kind of looks like like a lion, and and they 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 said it was a lion. Do you see where I'm going with this? You see where I'm going? How will people be misled? A lie will be coated with the truth. People are misled. People are misled because, this is your second one, people are misled because they're ignorant of the truth. In these last days, there will be a great ignorance in the truth of what God's Word says. That's how you'll be deceived. Do you know that in the United States, when they train People at the Bureau of, of um, they train the guys to, to recognize counterfeit bills. Do you realize that they're training? They're not looking at counterfeits. In the training of these guys who look, look for counterfeit bills, they train them to look at the original, to look at the real thing, so that when the fake comes up, they know it. That's a fake. Why? Because they've spent their time studying the real thing. 
One of the ways people will be misled in the last times by those who come saying, I am the Christ, will be because they're ignorant of God's truth. Ignorant of God's word. As your pastor, I guess I'm new here, and you guys, you guys are a lot of you are new to me. But as your pastor, you called me here to preach the word. You called me here to shepherd this flock. And God called me here to shepherd this flock. And God called me here to preach the word. And as your pastor, I implore you. I implore you. We need to be a church where we are people of the word of God. Where we not just come in on a Sunday morning, hear the word of God and kind of soak it up and walk out and never partake of it ourselves. We need to be people who are the word, people of the Word of God. I want to give you two tools. Because sometimes we say, well, I don't even know where to begin. I begin with the book of Lamentations, like, oh my goodness, what's going on? Or I begin with the, begin with the genealogies. Where do I start? Here's two tools I want to give you. These are both apps that you can get on your, on your phone. They're made for, for a tablet. They're made for your, for your phone. You can go to the Apple Store. They're free. The first one up on the top is M119. That's a really good app. That's the one I use every day. I've been using it. I thought it was just going to take a year to get through the. I'm at week 59 of this. That's the one I use every single morning. And, that, and it's a little bit more scholarly what it has in it. When you open it up, it has the, the scripture for that day. And you can either read it or you can listen to it being read to you. Then there's about a 10-minute commentary. The guy who does this, his name is John Soper. He was our... our um, our national vice president of our, of our denomination, extremely, extremely learned man. He had his first PhD at 19. At 19, I mean, he's just extremely learned man. He really knows the, God, the word. And in addition to the commentary, there are notes. And I have a tablet, and I write on, I write on the tablet as, as the notes are being done. Excellent, excellent resource. And what he does, what is so good, what I love about it, you may start in Genesis... But then as you, as you go to Exodus, what they'll do is take a part of Exodus and then they'll tie it in with where it's going in the New Testament. Or what I just finished was Isaiah. We had, I had been in the Kings and they stopped. I thought, boy, he stopped awful abruptly. There's still more of the Kings and the Chronicles to come. The reason he stopped was he brought in the book of Isaiah to tie in. This is what's going on. This is who's prophesying at this time. Excellent resource. The second one is the one that Becca uses. It's called Read Scripture. It's put out by Francis Chan's ministry. That one is also very good. And what it does is it, uh, it, it does some artwork right at the very beginning. It really, really cements what is the book that you're teaching, what is the book that you're going to read. It doesn't read it for you. It doesn't have a lot of the things that the MY19 does. But it really gives you an overview. What is this book all about? And how does it tie together with the whole of Scripture? Two excellent resources that I, would, that I would highly commend to you. Because how will people be misled in those last days? They'll be misled from an ignorance of the truth of God. And you say, well, well that doesn't really happen today, does it? Ah, boy, does it ever. There's a church, and I'm sorry, I, Becca told me as I preached this sermon yesterday to the Filipinos, that she said, a lot of your illustrations are North American. Okay, I'm... I'm coming pretty fresh out of North America, so this is another North American illustration. There's a church. There's a church in North America that regularly, every single Sunday, twenty thousand people come to that church. This guy has a as a, a followership on on the internet, on television, of over two hundred million people every Sunday. 
He fills, they have like a stadium. He fills that stadium. 20,000 people come every, every Sunday to hear him. And when they come to hear him, when they come to, this guy has also written two different books. And when they come to hear him, they will never hear anything about the cross. They will never hear anything about dealing with personal sin. If I were to give him your name, you would know him right off the bat. Ravi Zacharias had, had uh, supper with him. He and his wife had supper with, with this pastor. And his pastor said to Ravi Zacharias, ah, I had lunch with an imam just the other day, and I re- didn't realize how closely, how closely that uh, Christianity and Islam are. And he said his wife almost swallowed her fork. And he said, how, well, what do you mean? He said, well, we're, we're, there's so many similarities between Christianity and, and, and Islam. And he said, Okay, he said, then you answer me this question. He said, they don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They don't believe in the, in the resurrection of Christ. They don't believe in the Bible. How are they similar? And this is a guy who's leading 20,000 people every single Sunday. This is a guy who has a followership of 200 million people every single Sunday. How are people misled? Because they are ignorant of the truth. He tells them what their itching ears want to hear. And that's another sign of the, of the end times. As they tell them what their itching ears... Because what does he tell them? It's God's will for you to be, to be healthy, to be wealthy. And I look at that and I say, in two months I'm going to Cambodia. And I'm going to be ministering in churches that some of the churches are no bigger than this piece of the stage. And we sit around the edge of the church, and these, these past, some of these pastors, they're pastoring six churches. They have nothing. They, they have nothing. Yet God is so present, and God is doing such a, an amazing work in that part of Cambodia. And I look and say, okay, so then what about these who have nothing? Are they not believers? Have they been rejected by God? People will be deceived because they are ignorant of the truth. As your pastor, I implore you that we be people of the Word of God. The second way that people will be deceived is that they will not put up with sound doctrine. They will not put up with sound doctrine. It says that but they will gather instead to suit their own desires, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Here's another thing. How will people be deceived? They'll be deceived because they're ignorant of the truth. The second way that people are deceived is because they gather on them a teacher that will tell them what their itching ears. This guy has a congregation of 20,000. But in addition to this, in 1844, there was a a minister by the name of William Miller. He was in upstate New York in the United States. And William Miller, he loved to study God's word, but more importantly, he loved to study end times doctrine. Now, if you're sleeping and falling asleep here, man, this stuff is huge, so stay awake with me here. And he, he loved to study God's word. And as, as he studied God's word, he came to the conclusion that he knew exactly the date of when it is that Christ would return. Now, again, here's where I put my pastor hat on with you guys. If you ever hear somebody saying, I know the date and the time of when, when Christ will return, you run. Because God's word's very clear. It says, no man knows the date nor the hour, not even the Son of Man. And when somebody claims to know when it is, the, and some people get around it, well, we don't know the exact date, but we know about the, about the uh, still, 
William Miller was one of these guys. He declared that he knew exactly when Christ would return. September 6, 1844, Christ would return. His followers were known as the Millerites. The followers of, of William Miller, they, they sold their possessions, they donned white robes, and they sat on the hills waiting for Christ to return on September 6, 1844. And when midnight passed and Christ hadn't returned, William Miller said, well, I, I was wrong. Maybe it wasn't this year. Maybe it's next year. And in the next year when it didn't happen, what came out of that was what they called the Great Disappointment. Do you know that today there is a denomination that is present here in Hong Kong, present in the United States in a huge way, that is still, still following and still following hard after this whole thing of, of the prophecy is a huge issue in this church? Well, you say, well, that doesn't happen anymore today. Mm-hmm. Fast forward of almost 100 years to the date. When I was pastoring in my first church in California, there was a radio guy, his name was Harold Camping. You can go on the internet, you can look for the name Harold Camping. He was radio broadcast called Family Radio. I didn't ever see what was so, what was so thrilling about it, but he would always, he just, he went through the word, verse by verse, line by line. Harold Camping determined that he knew exactly when Christ was going to return. Almost a hundred years to the date of William Miller. September 7th, 1994. I had a man in my congregation. Was, he was the husband of a, a lady in my congregation who was a mechanic for a, a United Airlines in San Francisco. And he told his workers there, he, he got all of his finances in order, told his family, said, I'm not going to be here tomorrow. He said, I love you. you know, he said, I've taken care of you. He said, but Christ is going to return and I'm going to be with him. You know, his family kind of thought he was out there. His workers at United, he told him, he said, guys, I'm not going to see you this next weekend on Monday because Christ is going to return on Sunday. And when Christ didn't return, this guy walked away. He walked away from his faith. He walked away from God. And you would think at that point, Harold Camping and the people would have risen up and said, he claimed to be a prophet. He claimed to know when the return of Christ was going to be. And Scripture is very clear what you do with a false prophet. It's not good. And what did, what did Harold Camping do? The very same thing that William Miller did a hundred years prior. Well, it wasn't this year. It was, it was next year. And you would have thought that after that, that people would have fallen away from him in droves and they just came around him and said, you're still the teacher. How will be people be deceived? Because they're ignorant of the truth and because they will gather around them teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. You would think that would have been it for Harold Camping. Hmm. Fast forward to 2011, October 21st, 2011. Harold Camping said, Christ is going to return. All over the place, in cities across America, on buses, on, on vans, they had on big placards on the side of it. Are you ready? October 21st, Christ is going to return. And when Christ didn't return, they still didn't turn away because he said, well, it wasn't this year, it's next year. Thankfully. Thankfully, Harold Camping is no longer around. But I just, I, I, I shake my head at times and say, how, is this, how does this happen? It happens because we're ignorant of the truth. It happens because we gather people around us who tell us what it is we want to hear. 
I have heard somebody say that if the message doesn't make you feel a little uncomfortable, you may not be hearing the truth. And I don't mean to make you feel uncomfortable, but sometimes the truth is, is difficult to hear. Sometimes the truth intersects our lives where God wants it to. The third reason that people will be misled is because it, it says that there will um, be those who will come. Uh, oh, let me, I didn't have that one on my scripture here. Um, verse 25. Verse 25 says, For false Christs and false prophets will, verse 24, excuse me, for false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. Did you, did you catch what it says? To deceive even the elect. To deceive even the elect. That's us. How will people be deceived? Because they're ignorant of the truth. Because they gather around them people who tell them what their itching ears want to hear. And thirdly, because they'll be able to do things. They'll say, well, it looks like the real thing. It sounds like the real thing. But don't think for a second that supernatural power is only, is only resident in God's people. The enemy will use it to great advantage in those last days. Stay grounded to the truth. Stay close to Christ. The second reason that Jesus taught us about the end times is so that we wouldn't be frightened. Because some of you right now are kind of like, woo. I don't, I don't know if I, this, this stuff, I, can, can we talk about something else? And yet God wanted us to know about this. He says, see, I've told you in advance. I told you in advance. And he wants us to know why, so that we won't be afraid. Because look, what, look, what, look what's coming. He says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. When I read the uh, accounts of what uh, Rear Admiral said about the possibility of starting war with the United States to relieve the economic tensions, it's like, uh, and then I look what's going on in the United States right now. It's, you know, I hear people say, we'll impeach President Trump. That's a, a dangerous place to be. We're not in the place of God. God's the one who holds the hands of the, the ruler in his heart. But you know, you hear of wars and rumors of wars. You do a quick Google search and it will show you that in this world, right now, there are 63 different conflicts going on around the world. And he says as well that you will, you will uh, hear of wars and rumors of wars. He says such things must happen, um, wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is, is still not to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the birth pains. He says there that there will be earthquakes, famines, wars, and rumors of wars. I mean, we've seen, you know, we've seen some of this stuff happening in our midst. But what does he say? He says, all these things must happen, but the end is still to come. Sometimes we look at it and we say, oh, you know, th th this is the end. Jesus says, wait a second. These things must happen. These things are but the birth pains. These things, are, these things must happen. And he says, don't be frightened. Why? Why does he say, don't be frightened, don't be afraid? He says, because these last times, he says, then, verse 9, he says, then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. 
At that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. Fear is a motivator, isn't it? Fear is a motivator, but it is a motivator towards falling away. In those last times, they will be very difficult times. That's why it's so important that we are grounded in the Word, because there may come a time when you don't have the Word of God in front of you. That's why David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. In addition to reading God's Word and being a people of God's Word, allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Isn't that what God's Word says? Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Put the Word of God away. If this old dog can learn Scripture and still memorize Scripture, in addition to learning all a whole bunch of different names, I try to do this personally, to, to memorize Scripture, because there may come a day when we don't have the Scripture in front of us. We don't have the phone in front of us. All we'll have is what that word that we put away in our heart that we would not sin against Him. Fear is a motivator, but it is a motivator towards falling away because these will be difficult days. Faith, on the other hand, faith, on the other hand, is a motivator towards spreading the gospel. Faith, is, faith, is, faith and trust are motivators toward getting the truth out. In 1970, in the Christian Missionary Alliance, of which we're part of that denomination, the second most difficult field to reach for Christ behind Israel was Cambodia. We came into Cambodia, the Christian Missionary Alliance came into Cambodia in the early 20s, saw very, very few converts. You know, just a little bit over 100 over 100 converts in that period of time. Very, very few. In addition to that, they were able to translate the Bible in that time and were able to translate a hymnal at that time. But they saw almost no fruit. Then in 1974, Ravi Zacharias and several others came to Phnom Penh and began to do evangelistic ministry there. They saw an unprecedented turning of hearts towards Christ. Why? The Khmer Rouge were just outside of the city walls. There were people who were, who were coming to Christ left and right. They saw a, a, a revival, the likes of which they had never seen in Cambodia. So much so that just toward the end, one of the last days in 1974, over 600 people gathered in the main church there in Phnom Penh, in the Tumnuktuk Church, and they knew, they knew what was going to happen and they knew what was coming. And yet they didn't fall away. They drew closer to God. And they said amongst themselves, they said, let's write our names on the back of the wall of that church. And they said, when this is all over, we'll come back. And when it was all over, 30 people came back. We lost all but two pastors in that time. It was a horrible time. But yet today, when I go to, when I go to Cambodia in March, that is a church that is strong especially in the northwest corner. It is incredibly strong because they have lived through those difficult days and rather than causing them to fall away, it has caused them to draw closer. You see, faith, faith and trust, faith and trust are motivators towards getting the gospel out. That last verse here, verse 14, and this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to the whole world and then the end will come. The denomination of which we are a part of, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, its founder was a guy by the name of A.B. Simpson. He took this verse to heart, believing with all of his heart 
that we could hasten the return of Christ. That's what drove him to send missionaries early on into China. That is what drove him to send missionaries early on into Indonesia, into into Southeast Asia, into Africa. Our first seven missionaries into Africa all died. But this gospel of the kingdom, this mandate, so drove the early Christian Missionary Alliance leaders that they believed that they could hasten the return of Christ by getting the gospel out. He says this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. When you see that word nations, it's the word ethnos. It's not just to to one country. It is to ethnic groups within that country. In in northern Laos alone, 69 different tribal groups in that area. You think about Yunnan province and all the different tribes there. That's what it's speaking about. And you say, wow, then we have lots of time. Ah, we don't. With technology today, with the ability with computers and other things, there was one group, there's several groups of people in, in Africa, in Central Africa, that they have no written history, they have no written books, Everything they do is through storytelling. Our Christian Missionary Alliance missionaries in that area determined the only way they were going to reach them, we know their language, but the thought of writing down scripture for them, they don't read. They are totally oral culture. There's several of them there. And what they did was they, they broke the Bible down into stories. And they began to teach them through stories. And they've been seeing people come to Christ left and right as a result of it. Is God also touching the hearts of people around the world in places where the enemy has said, no way. You look at Muslim countries where 99.9% of the population is is Muslim and where it is against law, it is actually very, very dangerous to share Christ. Even in those countries, we are seeing God in the same way that he touched the heart of the Magi to come towards him. God is using dreams and other things to touch the hearts of these people because he says... This gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world. You see, the second reason that God wanted us to know about what was going to happen is because he didn't want us to be afraid. Will these be frightening times? They will. They will. But we have hope, don't we? We have hope. And we have our hope is firm and secure. It's, it's firm in who? It's in Christ. Early on, when Beck and I were first married, we were going to Bible college. And poor as church mice. Are very, very poor. We didn't have anything. And so there was a lake right, right by the Bible college, and we would go out there. And I would fish because we needed something to eat. And in the spring of the year in, in, in North America, um, there's a fish that it, it gets to be about this big. It's very tasty. It's called a bluegill. And you, you can find them in the early spring. They're right along the shoreline, and they have big, like, they, they, they scoop out the sand, and that's where they lay their eggs. Well, you look for those, they call them spawning beds. You look for those spawning beds, and then you throw in, and you get big fish out of there. And so we had this rowboat that the school had, and we were, I was rowing the boat along looking for, the, looking for those spawning beds. And I, I said to Becca, oh, there they are, there they are. And I, I said, put the anchor in, Becca. And she, she, it, all it was was a coffee can filled with concrete with a, with a rope on it. And she threw it overboard. She hits the water. Water goes everywhere. And the fish just went like this. And then I watched the anchor rope. And it just right down in the water. It wasn't tied onto anything. And you know your hope is in whom? 
He said, we have this hope. Hebrews says, we have this hope firm and secure. In whom? In Christ. We need to hold on to that. And we're going to need to hold on to that. This world isn't all that there is. We have Christ. And he wants us to be prepared so that we're not misled. He wants us to be prepared so that, so that we're not frightened. The third reason that he wants us to be prepared, or third reason that he told us, is so that we're prepared. Is Jesus coming again? Somebody said to me, do you ask all rhetorical questions? Uh, this is a question that we need to ask ourselves. Is Jesus coming again? Mm, you weren't very confident of that. Is Jesus coming again? Yes. yes. We read in Revelation two times that Jesus says, says these words. Jesus says, go on to the next one, uh, Revelation 22. Jesus said, behold, I'm coming soon. Whenever Jesus says something, is it going to happen? Count on it, take it to the bank. It's going to happen. These are the words of Christ. These are the words of the risen Christ as he stands before John. The very last thing in, in Scripture that he wants us to know is this. Behold, I am coming soon. When? We want to say, when? When is soon with, with God? We don't know. When could Christ return? He could return anytime. He could return anytime. The second one that he says here is he says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen? Come, Lord Jesus. Is he coming soon? Yes, he is. And when could he come? He could come anytime. The que- okay, now... It would be nice if he would come today. The question is, if he did come today, are you prepared? How will he find your heart today if he did come? I heard Jimmy speak this morning as we went to communion. Are there attitudes, are there things that we need to change in our hearts? If he came today, how would he find your heart? Will you find your heart consumed and, and fixated on what someone has done to you and that inability to let it go and to forgive that? Your husband has said something to you and it has hurt you deeply. Your wife has done something to you and it has hurt you deeply. Your parents, your boss, your employer, something has ha- happened to you and you're, you're holding on to that. How will Christ find you when he returns? Will he find your heart ready to meet him? What will he find you doing? Will he find you doing those things with his time that don't bring him glory? Because remember, his time, our time is his. It's not ours. It is a gift from him. What will he find you doing? Will he find you doing what doesn't bring him his glory? Will he find you doing what grieves his heart? Are you prepared? Are you prepared? Because when he returns, and he can return at any time, we will go to be with him. We will go to be with him. Um, We need to live our lives as though Jesus were coming today. Let me end with a story. I maybe shouldn't do that because then we kind of, we we click off. Hold, Hold on with me one minute. In the first Gulf War, there was a U.S. Air Force captain. His name was Robbie Robbins. And he was called into the, uh, his colonel's office, and the colonel said, you're done. You're, you've flown your missions. You can go home. And so the colonel called, called to Robin's wife and said, your husband is, is coming home. 
And she said, when? He said, we don't know, but he's coming home. And so Robbins didn't tell his wife. He wanted to surprise her. So he didn't tell his wife. And so the day that he, he got back into the States, he went with a bunch of guys and they dropped him off at his home in Pennsylvania and they went on to Ohio. And when he got to his, got to his house, now here again is a North American term. You guys know what, garage, what a garage is? You know where you pull your car into and the garage door comes down? Well, a big thing at times in the, in the States is you put a big banner across that. And when he pulled into the driveway, when he got he said it was early morning and he looked at this garage door and there it said, Welcome home, Daddy. And he thought, huh. And he walked through the front door, and there were his kids. They were in their pajamas yet, and they said, Ah, Daddy's home! And they clamped their arms around his legs, and, and they were so excited that he was home. And he said while he was, while he was greeting his kids and loving on his kids, he looked up, and there was his wife coming down from the stairs, and he said she was amazing. He said she had makeup on, her hair was done. He said she had a beautiful dress on. And he looked at her, and he said, How? How, how, how did you know I was coming home today? And she said, I didn't. We were told that you were coming home, but we didn't, weren't told the date. And she said, so I told the kids that we need to live every day as though you were coming home. And she said, that's why we're ready. AIC, we need to live every day as though Christ would return today. And if he comes, how will they find your heart? Are you prepared? Are you ready to meet him? Are you ready to meet him? Are there things in your life that need to be dealt with? And also, if this is truth, which it is, then what does that mean for us as we live in these last days? What do we do with this truth? Because, see, we can take truth in and kind of like a sponge and carry, carry the truth around. Or we can allow God to use us and allow God to squeeze the grace out of us that he wants others to hear about as well. Are you ready? I hadn't planned on this, but I'm going to do this now. Because I wonder if there might be one or two of us here that are saying, I'm, I'm not ready. I, I'm not ready. I've never prayed to receive Christ as my personal Savior. If you've never done that, if you are not prepared to meet Christ, if today, because he can't, we don't know the day nor the hour. All we know is this promise is that he's coming. And what is soon with him? We don't know. But it is incumbent upon us to be prepared. Are you prepared? Can you say with absolute assurance that you have prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior so that when you meet him, you will go to be with him? If you aren't, I want to invite you to pray to receive Jesus Christ. You've got to do three things. Simple. The first one is you need to admit that you're a sinner. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's everything. That's not just big things like murder. It's lying. It's bitterness. It's thoughts in our hearts that go against God. The second thing that you have to admit is that you need a Savior. We're pretty good people around here, but we're not good enough to get to heaven. For this Jesus came. And the third is to receive that gift. To pray to receive that gift. If you've not done that, I want to invite you to do that. The second thing is for some of us, for some of us, as we are sitting here, it's a brand new year. In America, we always do New Year's resolutions. We're going to lose weight. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Maybe this is the year where you covenant before God and say, this is the year that I become a person of the Word of God. That my family, that we spend time around God's Word, 
But this year, Lord, would you help us to be a people of the word of God? And maybe that's where your heart is at this morning, that God's been dealing with your heart as even as I've been speaking, that God has been speaking to your heart. But are you prepared? Are there things that need to be taken care of, dealt with in your life, so that our hearts are ready to meet him? When we go to prayer, I'm just going to, there's a point where I'm going to be quiet, and if you need to do some business with the Lord, that you do that. But don't walk out of here the same as you came in. Walk out of here changed. Walk out of here renewed because of what it is that Christ is doing. If you want to pray to receive Christ, when we go to prayer, every head's going to be bowed. I'm just going to ask you to do a very simple thing. Just raise your hand. And I want to pray with you. And then I want to follow up with you afterward, okay? Let's go to prayer. Lord, thank you for the word of God. It is truth. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you cared enough about us to not leave us in the dark. But you shared with us what is to come. And Lord, I pray and ask this morning that as you have spoken to our hearts, Lord, I don't know, I don't know what's going on in the hearts of each person, but you do. You know those of us, of us who are ready to meet you. And you know others who, if you were to return, that they wouldn't be with you. And Lord God, you speak truth, not to frighten us. You speak the truth so that we would be prepared. So that we would be encouraged with the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. If you came here this morning and you said, I don't know Christ, but I would like to pray to receive him, I want you to do that, just that simple thing. Just raise your hand up and I want to pray with you. Father in heaven, I also thank you that you are the one who knows our hearts in that. For some of us, we come in on a Sunday morning, we put a happy face on, but in our hearts there's, uh, there's unforgiveness. There's things that, that grieve your heart. Lord, for some of us, there is a deep hunger in our heart to know your word. And we just, we, we don't know where to begin. We, we start and we stop and we start and we stop. And God, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ over this precious congregation, the blessing of your hand in this area, that God, we will be a people of the word. That Lord, as you speak to our hearts through your word, we'll understand it. And that God, you will just cause our hearts to well up with a hunger towards you. And that Lord, you will teach us so that when the time comes, we won't be misled, but we will know the truth. If you came here this morning and there are some things that you need to do before the Lord, maybe there's confession that needs to happen, maybe there is a covenant that needs to be made between you and the Lord. I just want to be quiet for a few moments to allow you to do that, and then I'll close this in prayer. Precious God, I thank you that in your word you say, before we call, you will answer. Lord, you see how desperately some of us long to be free. We long to be free of an attitude towards somebody. We long to be free of the bitterness that can 
consumes us. We long to be people of hope. And God, you are the one, the only one that can do that. And I just pray, God, as you've heard the cries of our heart, that you will answer. And I know that you will. I thank you, too, that, Lord, as a congregation, you are seeking to strengthen our walk with you. You are continually doing that. And I pray, God, the blessing of your hand, that we will know a season of your blessing, especially in this area of knowing your word. God, would you go forth before us? Would you watch over and protect us, our children, our families? And Lord, would you allow the light of Christ to be seen in and through us as we wait for your coming? Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly.